thankful this morning for Jesus. Amen. Be thankful for what he's done for you and all the wonderful blessings that he bestows upon us. His new mercies new every morning. I'm very thankful to the Lord and so grateful that uh, he knows me and um, he knows my needs. Even before I pray, he knows what they are. And before I, uh, before I begin our message, I'd just like to pray. If you'll join me, please, in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we are great. you are great and greatly to be praised, Lord. And we are gathered together, Lord, today in your name. We've come to worship you, Lord. We've come, God, to hear your word. And I thank you, God, that you've given me, Lord, this opportunity to bring your word, Lord. I'm praying, God, that in every way you will be with me, that you will anoint me, that you will guide me and lead me, God. I'm asking you to open our hearts to receive your word, Lord. And, God, that your precious word will do a work in our lives, God, and do us ever closer to you, God. As we serve you and we live for you. We thank you, God, for your goodness in our lives. And we ask you these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I'd just like to take an opportunity, this opportunity, to just testify about uh, our thankfulness to God and his provision. Amen. You all know that Brother Miles has um, had an operation on his back, but he started to getting a paralysis in his legs. And so he's um, disabled completely in that respect. He's bed-bound. He hasn't got the strength in his legs. And wherever he goes, it's by hoist, they hoist him onto a wheelchair and then back onto his bed. Um, he walked into hospital on the 22nd of September, and he was there for four days. Then he had the operation, and he hasn't walked ever since then. He, was, he wasn't well in himself, but he was fit enough and strong enough to walk. Amen. So the problem with his back has caused that. And um, I'm, I'm not lamenting because he's, he's ill and he's in hospital. I'm trying to make a point here that when in, two, in 14 years ago, when we immigrated from Zimbabwe to Australia, it cost me 35,000 Australian dollars. And I lamented and I lamented and I lamented. Everything that we had, we sold. We had absolutely nothing left except a few little pieces of furniture to get that 35,000 Australian dollars because in Zimbabwe the currency is very, very low and to get 35,000 uh, Australian dollars was like raising millions and millions and millions of Zimbabwe dollars. Well, praise the Lord, we managed it and we achieved it, amen. And as I say, I lamented about that and I thought, woe is me, I'm so hard done by, etc., etc., etc. Other people didn't need to pay that price but I had to pay that price. But I thank the Lord because that $35,000 that I paid in that, at that time is a drop in the ocean for the medical attention that Miles has received and that I've received, amen, in the time that we've been in Australia. It hasn't cost us a penny. It hasn't cost us a penny. He's got the best hospital. He's got the best beds. He's got the best nurses. He's got the best doctor. He's got the best of everything. It's more than $35,000 a week, I would make, I would dare to say, in the attention and the help that he's getting. So I just 
just thank God because God knows everything, amen. And I do know my brother there would back me up. If we were in Zimbabwe, we wouldn't be able to have that care and that attention, amen. And we would have been absolutely destitute if this had come upon us whilst we were in, in Zimbabwe. So I want to give God all the glory and the praise. And I want God to know that I thank Him and I recognize His hand on our lives and how He's undertaken for us in a mighty, mighty, mighty way. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. The message this morning I've titled Hope. So um, if you'd like to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, most of you can probably quote the scripture. From memory. Amen. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. So faith is defined as trust, as relying on God and obeying, even when we do not fully understand. Faith means having an assurance and an inner conviction that God will fulfill his promises. The New International Version says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. The object of our faith must be beyond our ability to achieve. If it were not so, faith would be unnecessary because human ability could accomplish the desired end. Natural impossibility is the atmosphere where faith works. A commentary on the scripture says, faith is confidence or trusting a person, a thing or a belief which is not based on proof. Hope is an optimistic attitude of mind based on an expectation or desire. Faith says it is so now, and hope says it will happen in the future. The Greek word for substance is hypostasis, which literally means that which is standing under or giving support to. So faith undergirds our hope, and that is how faith is the substance of of things hoped for. It undergirds our hope, and we know that that hope can be fulfilled because the faith is supporting that hope. Response to faith requires work. James 14 and 17 says, Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. And we have a wonderful example of works responding to faith, which undergirds hope in Hebrews 11 and 31. And this speaks of harlot, uh, the harlot Rahab, saying that she perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And James 2 and 25 says that Rahab the harlot was justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. She was justified by works. She had faith, amen, but she was a harlot. She was in a, she was in a sinful place. That doesn't mean to say you can't have faith if you're in a sinful place, amen. It doesn't mean to say you can't hear the word of God. It doesn't mean to say you can't respond to the word of God. This is a wonderful, wonderful example of this of uh, faith, amen, and the substance of faith. The background of this, uh, ish, of this example, as you know, is that the Israelites had just crossed the Jordan River 
and Jericho was an impenetrable fortress city directly in the path of the advancing Israelites. Before entering the land where that city was, Joshua sent out two spies to look over the land, and these two spies lodged in the house of an harlot named Rahab. The king of Jericho heard that the two spies were within his city and ordered them to be brought to him. Rahab protected them by hiding them on her roof. The king's servants came searching in her house, but she put them off, saying, When was it dark? The men went, saying, When it was dark, the men went off, and she didn't know where they went. She suggested the king's servants pursue after them. After the servants left, she spoke to the spies and expressed her faith as shown in extracts of Scripture. This is very important, I feel, the, the extracts from the Scripture that are cited here. In Joshua 2, verses 9 to 11, she says, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt, and when ye did unto two kings of the Amorites, whom ye utterly destroyed. As soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Remember that they were worshipping idols in that city. So she had come to a realization that the God of the Israelites was the Lord of God. He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Amen. And this is a statement of faith. She had no evidence of that. She had never seen that taking place. It was her faith to know that this is how God was. None of these events had been seen by her, but this expressed her faith in God, and then she expressed her hope. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token, and that ye will save me alive, save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters, and all they that have and deliver our lives from death. And then there was her obedience to the instructions. The scarlet cord she used to let the spies out of the city was to be bound to the same window she used to let them go and to bring her father, mother, brethren, and all her father into her father's household, into, oh, sorry, and her father's household into her household. And whoever is outside of that house will not be saved when the Israelites came to conquer Jericho. But the spies knew where she was by that, that, thought, that cord that was hanging out of the window. They knew exactly to save that household. All of the Israelites knew exactly to save that household, to honor uh, the, the promise that they'd made to her, provided whoever was there wanting to be saved was inside the house. If they were outside of the house, they didn't get that saving. If Zechia, there's some, And the conclusion is... Um, by faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. There's some typology in these passages of Scripture. Rahab and her family needed to be inside of the house. In deliverance from Egypt, the Israelites needed to be in the house and under the blood covered, that covered the doorposts in order to be saved. Today, we need to be under the blood of Jesus to be saved and forgiven. And we get to be under the blood of Jesus by obedience to his word and by acting in faith.
Rahab's faith came under to support her hope of salvation. And in the end, Rahab is a partaker of the genealogy, genealogy of Jesus Christ. I feel to say here that sometimes, because of the difficulties of life uh, people experience, people sometimes turn away and they turn back. But I'm saying, don't give up your hope of salvation because that's what you do if you turn away and you walk back. Don't give up your hope of salvation. Our hope for heaven is in the future. It's not now. Our hope is in the future for heaven. Amen. And our faith supports our hope and our works demonstrate the evidence of things hoped for. If we walk away, our troubles don't go away. They're still there. They don't vanish. They don't dissolve. They're still there. But what we've given up is our time of worship with the Lord and uh, our time of sacrifice unto him as we walk away. In the world, we don't have those opportunities to worship God. In those worlds, in the world, we don't have the opportunities to sacrifice to him as we do when we come to the house of the Lord and we read his word and we taught and we're able to receive his word and, and obey that and become close to God as we live for him. We accept God's salvation plan by faith. We have not seen Jesus we have not seen the crucifixion and we have not seen the temple in the wilderness where the sacrifice for sins was introduced and became an annual ritual. But we, leave, we believe it and by faith we have obeyed. And now we continue to wait for God's promises and that hope to be fulfilled. God's plan of redemption is found right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis and, and Part of his plan is spoken in Genesis 3 and 15. If you want to, you can flip there with me. If not, it doesn't really matter. It says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The English Standard Version says it like this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. She shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God has a set time when his redemption for mankind will be fulfilled completely. But in the meantime, there's going to be ongoing enmity between the human seed, <coughs> or the offspring, and the serpent, which is the devil. If we take the translation of the authorized and revised versions, we have a metaphor of a man crushing a serpent with his foot, and a serpent fastening its teeth into the heel of a man. The crushing of the head is more severe than the biting of the heel. And we prefer, we refer to Romans 16 and 20, which says, The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. God has given us authority over the devil, and we are to exercise that authority to gain victory. We do need to exercise that authority. It's not just going to come. God has given it to us. We need to exercise it. He has put us under, put the devil under our feet. We sing that song, Satan is under my feet. And we all get excited when we sing that song and we all jump and we all shout and we all enjoy the song. Amen. But we don't, we need to keep him under our feet because that's where he belongs. Amen. We don't have to listen to the pessimistic and tempting talk of the devil. 
It is our feet that trample him down. We gain victory by drawing nigh unto God. And because we do this, God draws nigh unto us. In place of the ear bashing the devil tries to give us, we should tune him out and be filling our thoughts and our minds and our conversation and our reading matter and our praise and our worship unto God. We should be filling our minds with all of those things. Amen. And, and the Lord will undertake and bless us and strengthen us. We don't have to listen to those words and the ear bashing from the devil. We don't have to listen to it. We can tune it out by the power and authority of the Lord. Amen. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Those that are filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got power when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we will be enormously strengthened if we do that to resist the devil. Now, unfortunately, the devil is not going to go away until God says so. And each generation of offspring of human offspring will be faced with the same issues of, of enmity. The same issues. So when new generations are born and they, they worship the Lord and they come to the truth, they're still faced with those issues of enmity. When you're in the world, you don't have to worry about that because the devil doesn't care what you do and what you say and where you go and how you do it. He's not interested. He's quite happy to let you get on with it and go worse and worse and worse into your troubles. He's quite happy with that. But as soon as you make a stand for the Lord and enter into his house and decide I'm living for God and I'm going to act by faith, then the devil comes after you. Loud and clear, amen. He comes after you. But we have victory over that. The devil is where? Where is the devil? He's under our feet, amen. Praise the Lord. We do have victory, amen. Thank you, Jesus. So that battle is going to continue, amen, and we're going to continue to get the victory in the name of the Lord. It is probable that the devil thought he had won the greatest victory ever when Jesus was crucified. For us, God had prophesied the perfect sacrifice, but the, but the court nation of Israel did not recognize Jesus as their Messiah when he came to them. Jesus is the Messiah, and when his ministry began, it, he was heralded by his forerunner, John the Baptist. On a given day, when John the Baptist was baptizing candidates unto repentance in the Jordan River, John sees Jesus coming unto him and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. For 400 years since the close of the Old Testament, there had be no prophetic voice raised in Israel. God had spoken by angels to Zacharias and Elizabeth, to Joseph and Mary, and to the Magi. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and baptizing in the river of Jordan unto repentance. He was clothed in a rough garment made of camel hair and was eating locusts and wild honey. John recognized that Jesus was the Lamb of God, by the anointing upon Jesus as the Spirit descended from heaven like a dove and it abode on him, and that Jesus was the same who would baptize with the Holy Ghost. John the Baptist said, I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. John chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2 explains to us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The same was in the beginning. Now the Greek word for word is logos, which means God's plan for salvation was with him right from the beginning. 
Jesus Christ is the center of that plan. And verse 14 explains quite clearly that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So here we have the Lamb of God fulfilling God's promises of a Savior, but there was still need for the Lamb to be sacrificed, and Jesus was crucified, his blood was shed, and he died. It is very possible that the enemy was rejoicing, as I said before, thinking he had won a huge victory and that Jesus had been put to death. But, of course, we all know that Jesus rose again on the third day. And Satan is still under our feet. John 19 and 13 tells us that when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What was finished was the sacrifice of that perfect lamb of God that had taken place. His blood was shed for the remission of sins for all of mankind. The crucifixion took place on the day of atonement exactly as ordained by God. And Jesus rose from the dead and in time was carried up into heaven from the presence of his disciples. The redemption plan of God was not and is not finished. Humanity is still able to seek God and his salvation. And this will continue until God brings it to a close in his perfect time. And as such, and as such we need to seek the Lord while he still may be found. There is going to come a time when we will seek the Lord and we will not be able to find him. Sister Nairi said this morning, we've got one opportunity. Amen. And, and, and think to yourself, give thanks to the Lord how blessed you are, how blessed we all are, that we are gathered in the house of God. We're under the subjection of the pastor and the teachings and the preaching. We hear the word of the Lord. Amen. We know about God's plan of salvation. We've been baptized in Jesus' name. That means... All our sin is washed away because there's no sin in heaven. We are bound for heaven. We are going to heaven. Do you agree with me? Amen. So you can't get in there if there's going to be a stain of sin in your lives. Amen. It has to be cleansed and it has to be washed. And you can't go and run the bathtub full of hot soapy water and sit there and say, I scrub my sins away. I scrub that lie away. I scrub that stealing away. I scrub that untruth away. We cannot do that. Amen. We can do it, but it's going to not accomplish anything. Perhaps we'll scrub our skin away. But we go under the blood of Jesus Christ. We come to him and we ask for forgiveness. You see, we all know this. We all know this. We have received this. We are working in it. Amen. I'm sorry, Jesus. Please forgive me. And he washes away the sin. And we baptize in Jesus. That we filled with the Holy Ghost. We're born again. And we're heaven bound. And Satan is under our feet. And we're going to get the victory. And we're going to reach heaven in that time when Jesus said so. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So now Jesus has gone. He's not there anymore. He's been taken up. He's ascended into heaven. What are we going to do now? Jesus is gone. He's not there anymore. John 14 says that Jesus will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. But he that may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. 
I will not leave you comfortless. Say it with me. I will come to you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Oh, so Jesus is going to come to us. Amen. Jesus comes to us as the Holy Spirit. And when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Amen. In the tabernacle in the wilderness once a year for the nation of Israel was the Day of Atonement. And on that day, the high priest performed elaborate rituals for the atonement of the sins of the people. Only the high priest, anointed of God, was permitted to perform these rituals. The high priest was to bathe himself in order to sanctify himself because he was not sinless, and then put on the priestly and or holy garments. These garments were very elaborate, and each garment had a meaning. But I just want to touch on the ephod, which was a colorful linen garment on the, uh, placed on the upper body and held into place on the body by a woven waistband. It had two shoulder pieces, and on, each, and on these shoulder pieces were engraved the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, he, the breastplate of judgment, which was in the front, had three row, four rows of three stones. And the names of the tribes of Israel were engraved on these stones too. The, holy, the high priest was representing Israel. That was the only, that was the only uh, group of people he was representing. Nobody else in the world, just the nation of Israel. And he carried that responsibility high before the Lord. Amen. The high priest offered a bull as a sin offering for himself and his house. He presented two goats. One was to be sacrificed. The other was to be the scapegoat, which to carry the burden of the sins of all Israel and then driven away into the wilderness. Missing out all the other details, we go directly of the, of the ritual in the tabernacle. We go directly into the Holy of Holies behind the veil. Aaron took the blood of the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled it on the mercy seat and there obtained mercy from God for the nation of Israel for another year. Then again, the day of Pentecost, when again the day of Pentecost would be celebrated. For us now, there's no longer a temple and there's no longer the annual sacrifice. Jesus is gone. The temple is gone. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? There's no high priest to go before us. What are we going to do? We find that there is another forerunner for Jesus, and that is the high priest Melchizedek, who was a priest of the Most High God and the King of Salem, which is the King of Peace. Hebrews 6 and 20 says, Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek differed from the Levitical priesthood in that he was a king, he was a priest of the Most High God, meaning that um, he was a priest for the Jews and the Gentiles. He did not require Levitical hereditary, and his priesthood was eternal. Whereas the Levitical priesthood, they were, were not permitted to be kings, they could only minister for Israel, they had to be born into the tribe of, of Levi, so they had that hereditary, and they could only serve from the ages between 25 to 50. Jesus became our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus did not have to put on the elaborate garments of the high priest because he was God in the flesh. 
And Jesus went into the Holy of Holies on behalf of Israel and the Gentiles for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus bore our own sins in his body, and he was our scapegoat. Jesus did not have to wash himself because he was sinless. He did not have to present an animal to be sacrificed. He was the perfect lamb slain upon the cross. He entered into death for us, and when he arose, he immediately went into heaven and entered into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled his own blood on the mercy seat before the throne of God, and forever mercy was received for the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9 and 12 says, Neither neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. For us. But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Hebrews 9 and 11. When Jesus was crucified, he cried with a loud voice and gave up the, vo- the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The New International Version of Hebrews six seventeen to 19 reads, Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the ears of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God this, did this so, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we may have, we may have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, which enters in the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. <coughs> Scripture, you can have a piano, please. Scripture is saying that we need to continue with spiritual progress, with diligence, faith, patience, in order to inherit God's promises upon which our hope is based. Jesus serves as an anchor of the soul that reaches into heaven itself, where Christ is now our high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. With all the examples gone before us in this message, Jesus is our everything and the anchor of our souls. He goes behind the veil and he is the anchor of our souls. The day will come when this enmity will be over and Revelation tells us The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. There will be no more enmity to have to contend with. It will be over, but till then we need to cling to our hope of the fulfillment of God's promises with Jesus, the anchor of our souls. I just want to read James 4 and 15. It says, For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was tempted on all points like as we are, yet without sin. After Jesus uh, was baptized by John the Baptist, he was taken up into the wilderness and he was tempted on all points as we were. Amen. He cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He understands our infirmities and he, he... he responds to that, amen. And on behalf of us, he went into the, high, into the Holy of Holies, the heavenly Holy of Holies, presented his blood as sacrifice on the mercy seat and obtained mercy for us, for our sins to be forgiven and washed away. Amen. We can open the altar this morning. 
I don't know if anybody's looking to receive the Holy Ghost. You can come and we'll definitely pray for you and you'll be able to be filled with the Holy Ghost. If you want to renew your consecration with God, come to the front and pray. If you just want to give God thanks and, and love Him and worship Him, please come to the front and receive that time in the altar before we close the service this morning. God bless you. Amen.